This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. Uh, it's season eight, episode 29. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of OwlScoop.com. We've got a full house this week. Kyle Gauss, Javon Edmonds, Caden Steele. What's up, guys? How you doing? Uh, as Dennis Edwards once said, I'm doing fine on cloud nine. Here we go. Can't be that. Caden, do you know who Dennis Edwards is? No, I don't. No, he doesn't. Which is like so disrespectful, but I'll let it slide. See, I would think I would think cloud nine is like a level above doing fine, though. Right? Like doing fine yeah. is just like you're doing fine. Cloud nine is like you're a lady. Norman Whitfield, I did not write the song, Kyle. Just let me be. You know, <laughs> I'm not saying Javon. I think your your statement's shit. I'm just questioning the <laughs> the phrase. Okay, do you know if you don't know who Dennis Edwards is? Uh, Eddie Kendricks. I like the name, but I couldn't tell you what he did. Hand up, hand up. I don't either. And both these people sound like NASCAR drivers. It's no, like, <laughs> absolutely not. Their, oh, name, their names are big like stock car racers. <laughs> David Ruffin. That sounds like an old Eastern East Carolina coach. <laughs> <laughs> Javon, can you imagine if David Ruffin was a coach at ECU? Um, I feel like instead of being addicted to crack and heroin, he'd Ooh. be addicted to moonshine then. Ooh. <laughs> Somebody just tried to log into my Twitter account from a new device. Whoa, there we go. Anyway, they're 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 from the temptations, but Kyle's got bigger problems right now. Maybe we'll lead off the scoop talking about that. I feel like my my name and pa- my email address and password are just all over the dark web. So like every like eight days I get some some random website where my my username has been compromised. Kyle, uh, whatever you do. Do not open the link like our friend Sam Cohn did. Like every single recruit over the last 10 days, I get DMs from these links. I'm like, oh, you're all falling for it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got uh, spring football to talk about. First spring practice is coming up this Tuesday. we got some hoops to talk about. We've got plenty of mailbag questions. Before we get started, um, first of all, even before um, we get started, uh, with the mailbag, uh, I do want to acknowledge that it, of course, has been a, a really tough time in this city and this community. And we want to acknowledge the the, the family of Christopher Fitzgerald, the, the Temple police officer who unfortunately was shot and killed last weekend. And, uh, you know, they're recording this on Friday afternoon. Uh, the, the university had a vigil for him earlier this week and his funeral was today. And uh, um, never had the pleasure of meeting him here. I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about him. And I, I just can't imagine uh, what his family's going through right now. We're thinking of them and uh, Temple's a resilient place. Uh, I hope that Temple can get through it and we'll get through it. I have a lot of respect for even just in my full-time work here, just the student journalists here who have been covering it and just the students in general uh, with living through it right now. And uh, it's been tough. And uh, I know there are no easy solutions to what's going on, but um didn't want to start the podcast uh, today without acknowledging him, acknowledging his family and, uh, you know, just the, the pain that they're going through. And um, if you're a Temple fan and it's and it's been a rough week for you, hopefully we can entertain you for the next half hour or hour by talking about names of uh, temptations that, that Kyle and Caden don't know <laughs> and uh, talking about Temple sports. So uh, famous number 29s, guys. Didn't Eric Berry wear a 29 with the Chiefs? He did. I believe he did. I think that's all I got, though. Eric Dickerson? With the yeah, Eric Dickerson's the big one. Spray tan? You remember spray tan? Uh, DeMarco Murray, when it came out that he was sleeping with his old uh, teammate's wife, she was calling him spray tan was her nickname for him. Oh, so he no. pulled in Eric Fisher. Okay. Yeah. I do not. I, I don't remember that part of the story. Yeah, DeMarco Murray, who, in hindsight, it was wild that the Eagles signed him and then wild how bad he was with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Like they signed like a offensive player of the year, 2000 yard flirter, and they just turned him into nothing. 
Kyle, you know what was even more like weird? I don't even call it weird. I call it idiotic. How Chip Kelly signed, you know, DeMarco Murray to keep him away from Dallas. And then a few years later, the team across the street does the same thing with Al Horford and was shocked that it didn't work. So I don't know if that was like the reason Chip Kelly did it, because like that was like the offseason. They had no running back, had no running back, had no running back. And then it was like June and people were like, the best running back in the league is available. Like, what are you doing? So I feel like he got his hands like forced into it. I'm sure that factored in, but he was always a bad scheme fit. Either way, and then they gave I, Chip Kelly more power. But I want to see I want to see Caden and Rex Specs next podcast like Eric Richardson. <laughs> any possibility Kate have you ever worn rec specs in any of your athletic endeavors yes when I played basketball uh follow-up question are there pictures of this <laughs> possibly yes not on my phone but like if I dig deep and like went to like a family file of like photos I could probably find something. another follow-up question. Would you be willing to share those pictures with Kyle so he can start a folder called embarrassing pictures of Caden in addition to his file folder of embarrassing pictures of John DiCarlo? Don't give away trade secrets. Um, <laughs> arguably the best. I think I said this last year too. Arguably the best hitting third baseman in the last 30 years, not named Chipper Jones. Chris Sabo. Absolutely. <laughs> Adrian Beltre. Um, another Chris Sabo, I think wore number 17. I was just thinking Rex Beck. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, Earl Thomas did wear 29. Yeah, Earl. Earl mm-hmm. Thomas, another should have been Eagle. Joseph Adai. Oh, so, anyway. was that the BG draft that Earl Thomas went in? Yes. yes. They traded up for B. I guess it worked out. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, well, again, we've got some, some spring football to get into. First spring practice is coming up this coming Tuesday, February 28th. I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the. Early they've started a wild schedule. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and we've got a story up on the site about this today. Um, yeah, I mean, they start Tuesday and then they'll be on a 12 day break once they start the university spring break. And then uh, from there, they'll go on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule. Uh, we, we talked to our subscribers about this just to, you know, give you all an idea of what to expect for coverage. You know, at this point last year, Stan did not make players available. Uh, this time players will be available. Uh, so Stan's going to be available once a week. We'll get to all the all the coordinators. Uh, I was told that uh, Stan's probably closing in on a hire on his new chief of staff. That position, of course, was vacated whenever Withers uh, went down to Florida Atlantic. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk some spring football here a little bit. And again, we've got... Uh, got did, that, uh, did that role exist under rule? I know it exists under Collins. Well, wasn't wasn't Sean Patton his chief of staff? Was that his official title? That, that, that sounds right. That Sean Patton. Right. He's with the lives to fight another with day. Nebraska now with Nebraska, um, the pride of I think East Norton, and then he was uh, yeah with Rule. So yeah, yeah he he's down there. Um, yeah, we've got we've got some we we have one football mailbag question, and uh, we talked about this a little bit. Last week as well, um, you know, every year they're going to be position battles. And, we, you know, we got into this a little bit last week. And it'll be interesting because there are a lot of the mid-year enrollees are going to be here and at some key positions, whether it's the transfers, whether it's some uh, some high school players. I know we asked this question last week, and I'll ask it again as we get uh, less than a week away from spring ball. Well, Kyle, I'll start with you because you weren't with us last week, right? It was just Javon and I. Yeah. Um, All blurs together, man. How about we let Kyle and Caden give their answers instead of us? Yeah. So I was going to say, so what, what position battles are you guys looking forward to seeing too? Who are some, you know, obviously you have some immediate guys that can make an immediate impact because they're college experience, but who are some of the names that jump out at you? Who were some of those critical names that you think are really, really going to benefit from spring ball? And what are you guys looking for? Caden hit me. Yeah. When I look at position battles, offensive line is obviously one where you have to Mm -hmm. replace you know, Adam Klein and Isaac Moore, who was drafted by the Philadelphia Stars in the USFL, you know, this past week. But, but you have two veteran guys that were here for four to five years. Now you don't have them on the offensive line. I think, obviously, wide receiver stands out with Noah Donica Sanders and Jose Barbone. You got to see if Amon Anderson Jr., Zay Baines, any of those returning guys can take the next step. And then also if Dante Wright, you know, the transfer from Colorado State can really add something to that room. And I guess the cornerback room, because I'm really not sure, opposite of McMurray, who's that other guy, whether it's going to be Dominic Hill, whether it's going to be Elijah Clark, whether it's going to be one of these young guys that steps up. So I think those are like the three positions in my mind that stand out. I think Caden did a good job summarizing it. Just to add another one, I'll add safety. I mean, we 
Jalen Ware was the the itch that you couldn't scratch. He has kept coming back over and over again, year after year <laughs> to start. And honestly, was playing kind of okay towards the end. So I'll be curious who um who kind of takes that spot outside of Alex Odom, whether that's a Brendan Scott, who was a JUCO transfer last year that kind of rotated in, whether that's a Florida transfer and Kamal Wilcoxon, whether that's one of those younger guys. Uh, I think safety is an interesting spot because Taiwan Francis, the Colorado State transfer, has played a lot of football and has been pretty productive. So is it going to be Wilcoxon? Is it going to be Francis? Is it going to be 2023's version of Jalen Ware? I think that's a position spot to look at. I mean, Alex Odom has turned into a pretty good safety at the American Athletic Conference level. So uh, if you can shore up that spot across from him, then that make, that gives you a pretty good uh, back of your defense. Javon, any, any additional thoughts um, on what you gave us last week? Nope. <laughs> nope. Back to you in the booth, John. Yeah, um, yeah but and again, we'll, we'll have a lot of, of spring football coverage coming up in the, in the coming weeks. Um, again, starting with starting with Tuesday. And we'll, we'll jump into a mailbag question here from our football uh, message board. From the, Again, these are screen names, dblaze 75 The O-line needs to improve, which we were talking about uh, with Caden just a few minutes ago. With the departures of Isaac Moore and Adam Klein, Isaac Moore just drafted by the uh, the Philadelphia Stars or the USFL, right? The Detroit Philadelphia Stars, because they play in Detroit, Michigan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, nonetheless, USFL draft pick. Hey, Detroit uh, well, and Philly, two cities that uh, you know, I'd argue say the two most important cities in the history of black music. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were just gonna make comparisons between Detroit and Philadelphia. Like, oh, they're on the same path. And I was like, hmm. Uh, no, no, maybe. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Motown, Philly Sound. Yes, definitely agree with that. Uh, Isaac Moore, Adam Klein gone. Can the O line take a significant step forward compared to last year, or will they take a step backward? I'm very interested to see the development of the running backs, especially with the new coach. Any thoughts on possible improvement in the running back room? So let's take a look at the the offensive line first. Can the O line take a significant step forward compared to last year? Great question. Simple question, but one that I, probably is maybe one of the biggest in the room there. Because, again, you lose Adam Klein, who could play right tackle for you, play center for you. Isaac Moore, maybe not, you know, a, a future pro at the NFL level, but dependable enough and got better and got better and got better. You know, a guy like James Famine, who's really important here. Um, Victor Stoffel's really important here. Um, maybe Diego Barajas is important here if they see him as a tackle. Uh, and then, of course, you know, who's your who's your center? You know, what are we thinking about that? There are a lot of question marks. Can they take a step forward? What do you guys think? Javon had an emphatic response. <laughs> yeah, um, anything is possible, but do I see it happening? No. Your line was bad last year. You just lost the two best pieces of it. So I, I, I have, like, some thoughts on that. One, I, don't, I think it's an incomplete answer. Not, not your answer. I'm saying any answer is going to be incomplete because I think the, the room is going to look different in August than it does yeah. now. Like they're going to add more pieces to that room. It's kind of hard to just gauge on that. But two, like if there's any position group in football that like you can just get better at, it's offensive line. Mm -hmm. Like you're not, you're not all of a sudden going to turn like a four, nine wide receiver into running a four, four, and he's just going to be the speedster, but you can teach a guy good technique in the offensive line. And he gets a little bigger and he gets a little stronger in the off season. That's when they actually kind of like can make those steps. So I think if you're a temple fan, you're kind of forced to believe that, that they can, because they can't roll out the same crap they rolled out the same performances they've rolled out the past couple of years. So uh, I would think that Rich Rodriguez probably has the inside path to center right now. Yep. If I had to guess um, if he can stay healthy, I know he had off season surgery. Uh, so I'm going to say, yes, they can. Will they talk to me in like six, six months? Because I think they're going to add people in like May and June that mm -hmm. are going to play some meaningful snaps. There. Yeah. And I, um, I mean, I left out the name of Melvin Ciani as a, as a mid-year guy who's, Who's here now? Raw, 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 raw. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, maybe it is a situation where a guy like James Family is your left tackle, Victor Stoffel's your right tackle, Rodriguez is your center, and then you you know, you figure out who your your guards are gonna be. But uh, yeah, fair question there. A lot of a lot of question marks. Uh very Melvin Ciani, real quick, I think Melvin Ciani kind of fits into that like Jalen Robinson type mold where you're like, you just took a guy that's massive and hasn't played that much football. And you hope yep. that like by the time he's a sophomore, junior, senior, he's developed. And with Jalen Robinson, I mean, by the time he became a senior, he was a starting right tackle. So yep. I think he's he even got in right? camp. He got in, yeah, he was out of Connecticut and he got in camp with the Falcons, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, interested to see the development of the running backs, especially with the new coach. 
Any thoughts on possible improvement in the running back room? I hate to sound sarcastic. They have nowhere to go, but well, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a plus that they have. It's a plus that they have, you know, Kyle Williams coming in as a mid-year guy out of Harrisburg high school um, and EJ Wilson as well. The FIU transfer. I think we've talked about this in the past. I don't know. Maybe EJ Wilson will, will surprise us, but he might be more of a depth guy, but I don't know. Kyle Williams had a really good high school career, but again, we've talked about this a million times over the, the performance of the offensive line, the performance of the running backs go hand in hand. Go hand, in hand. So I think they can certainly improve and maybe Jaquez Smith comes in in the summer and gives them a, a real burst. I, I think again, we've talked about him on this podcast before the, the, the rub on him is he may not have elite, elite speed, but he's a good tackle breaker, a very determined runner, got good vision. I, I think they definitely added, I mean, I think anybody could tell you they added talent to the room would have to think they're going to be better. Maybe they, maybe they kick Ed Sadie up to a little bit of a, another level. Cause I don't think, you know, how hard was he pulling, being pushed by Darvon Hubbard, Trey Blair and that group? I, I don't know, but sounds like the easy answer, but, Sure, they could definitely improve. They have to improve. If they don't improve, it's going to be a long year for EJ Warner, no matter what he's capable of doing, and no matter how much better he gets. I don't think they're done there either. Yeah. If I if I I don't think they're going to all of a sudden pull, pluck some fourteen hundred yard guy out of Tennessee Martin or something. But I think mm-hmm. there's still a scholarship there if somebody hits the portal that they're interested in. Yeah. So again, we'll have a lot more spring football for you when we record next week. We'll switch things over to basketball here. Again, the, the team's on a bit of a layoff here. They don't play again until they host UCF next Thursday, and then they finish out at Tulane next Sunday, and then that's uh, that's it until the conference tournament in Fort Worth. We've got a bunch of basketball mailbag questions here. Um, as you know, unless you've been living under a rock, Caleb Battle is out due to personal reasons. They have not given any sort of definitive word as to whether he's done, whether this is a game-by-game thing. Um, I think Aaron likes to play things close to the vest is probably doing that out of respect for Caleb battle as well. So they're one-on-one without him. You know, they beat uh, Tulane, excuse me, Tulsa 76, 53, and then had the 88, 83 overtime loss at Cincinnati. So now they're 15 and 14 overall nine and seven in the conference. So they're the fifth, fifth in the conference standings right now, just behind Cincinnati, Cincinnati's 10 and six in league play. So Unless I'm missing something. Yeah, Temple would have to win their last two games and then hope that Cincy would lose their last two. But they're at Memphis Sunday, so that could be a potential loss for Cincinnati. But then they get a week off and host SMU. I don't really see them losing that game. But, you know, anything's possible. But, uh, guys, before we dive into the the basketball mailbag here, where I think we're going to get questions about a lot of what we'd be talking about, any, uh, any thoughts that you feel like you must share on this team before we dive into the mailbag? Um, You know what? Yeah. Why not? I need Caleb Battle and Aaron McKee to understand that those two guys absolutely need each other, okay? Aaron has not won a game in the conference tournament since becoming the head coach of Temple. Um, And you're going to kind of need all the talent you need with this underperforming squad that you have this season if you plan on changing that misfortune. If you plan on um finishing with the top five seed and getting the first round bye, and then playing Cincinnati again, because that's what's going to happen. Uh, and and from the battle standpoint, buddy, you know, you want to get drafted. I, I know I defend him until the cows come home, but at some point, dude, you've got a label of uncoachable on you right now and being hard to deal with that is going to be very hard for your agent to shake when April, May, and June comes around, no matter how much he thinks he can get you a second-round pick because he's sure he's that connected. Step and fetch, apologize, whatever you need to do, piss and make up just like y'all did before the Rutgers game, and finish out the season because you both need each other. My thoughts on the situation. I also think they'd both be pathetic to attempt that again. Like, how many times can you have, like, your ex-girlfriend cheat on you before you realize, like, maybe I shouldn't keep going back to my ex-girlfriend? If you're Aaron McKee and you had what appears to be a falling out with a player for like the 14th time in the last 36 months. Why come back with a 15th? Like they got nothing to, you know, they use the phrase, you got nothing to lose. They got nothing to win. 
Like, there's no scenario where, like, adding KB, who, by the way, if you want to bring up, like, two years ago conference tournament things as a thing, is the reason they lost that one conference tournament game. Uh, it's like, these things these things matter. Like, I think they're, it's not as simple as just plugging somebody in and saying, okay, well, this guy's good. Obviously, he's good. There's a reason he people he was on NBA radar. There's a reason that he's not going to get drafted in a couple months because he has this label on him now. Like, I just think that culture matters so much. And I think that you can see that the way they played the last few games, like I'm not blown away by the fact they beat up on Tulsa and almost beat Cincinnati, right? Like I'm not all of a sudden thinking like, okay, they're a, a, a sleeper team and they might make a run, but like they look more energetic. They look like they actually want to play as a team. If Jaleel White doesn't roll his ankle, they probably beat Cincinnati on the road. And instead they were down to like six scholarship guys and he had to dust off Emmanuel Pomo for a couple minutes. Like, I think you're just you're living with the cards you have right now. Like I can't see them being like, yeah, let's just roll the dice and maybe KB comes in and plays nice for 14 days and doesn't piss off Damian Dunn, who's playing really good basketball, and they can figure it out. Like I'm just I'm done with that whole saga. Like it's just in the past. I will say, Kyle, I halfway agree with you from the standpoint of I would not advocate telling him to come back next season as part of your program. Like, no, you can't, you can't like, do another year. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I'm I'm kind of of the mentality that, like, KB is never going to play another minute of double basketball in his career is kind of where I'm at. But if that's the case, and, like, you're viewing it as, like, well, let's just see if we can bring him in as, like, a hired gun for a couple weeks, like, why bother? Like, you're playing offensively, your numbers are better without him. It's such a small sample size, so who cares? But, like, I just don't see a scenario where that works out with anything other than more egg on Aaron McKee's face. Like, if he comes back and then he struggles in the game and they have the same blowout, like, Aaron McKee looks like a fool. So, I don't Peyton, see that. Where, Peyton, where do you weigh in on this? Yeah, I agree with Kyle at this point where, you know, I'm not going to assess blame on Caleb Battle or Aaron McKee, but, you know, reading the lines, it's obviously not working. And you're a team right now where, like Kyle said, you know how much to win. You've lost five out of six. I think this season, what, you're 15 and 14. I don't see adding KB back is necessarily going to help you go far in the tournament either way because – I mean, we're talking about inconsistent this year, and there's a stretch where he's four or five games in a row where he scores 20-plus points, but then he also, you know, has games where he goes one and nine. So he hasn't been inconsistent. Either has this entire team. Every single player from top to bottom hasn't been consistent. I think right now they're just, you know, you know, they played a little better against Cincinnati, but I think you're seeing a team that doesn't have much of a shot to go far in the American Athletic Conference tournament. I don't think Jamil Reynolds has really come back from his injury yet. He looks sluggish in that game, and – I think overall it's just been a discouraging season. At this point, I think you hope that just some guys, you know, step up in the American Athletic Conference tournament. You get that experience, guys returning like Zach Hicks and more of your guys that you want to develop long term. Then it is better to have KB back at this point. What's What's wild is if like if this is the end of the KB saga at Temple, he just had one bad game to set this off towards the end. Like he was playing really good basketball down the stretch. Like he had had five straight games where he's averaging like twenty five points a game. He has one dud of a game and he's frustrated that he doesn't get in and during a blowout towards the end, he's coming off the bench. If that's what like broke the straws, the straw that broke the camel's back, like that's wild because we've seen him bounce back from one game in the past before. So I don't understand how it can go from like, clearly you're being used. You're letting, they're letting you shoot 15 times a game off the bench and play 35 minutes a game. One game sets you off. The problem to me is when you go down that full roster, each player has at least one glaring deficiency mm-hmm. in their game. Sure. That's an issue. Like, it's okay if you're not the perfect ball player, but everyone has a glaring deficiency, there's an issue. I also did some digging last night. I'm sure this is a number Kyle is going to appreciate because it helps your point. I'm a fair player. Although Battle was averaging 17.9 a game this season. In the four games that battle was either missed or been benched in, Damian Dunn's averaging 27 and a half. Right. You know who else I think it helps? I mentioned this to John the other day. Like, Isaiah Miller plays better without without KB out there. Mm -hmm. Like, for better or for worse. Like, if you're looking at, like, the future of Temple and you're talking about, like, next year and all this, like, Miller's probably going to be there. Battle's not going to be. And he looks a lot more confident when he has the ball in his hand more. Like, I feel like... When they run their offense and KB's out there, there's times when like that ball gets past the KB and it's just like, well, now it's one on five because that's just gonna he's just gonna take the air out of the ball. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just I think, think from like a long term perspective, it behooves Aaron McKee if he if he has a future here to move on to close the door on that. 
in a perfect world, Gaby and Aaron would be able to work this out. I just don't see it. Uh, I'm, I, uh, I mean, Jamal, I think you make some some good points. I mean, he's clearly, clearly a skilled basketball player, right. but I just don't. You know, you've said it before several times on this podcast. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And I, I mean, I, I wish him well. I know it's the standard John DeCarlo qualifier. Caleb Battle's always been nice to me, but I, it's I just don't see it working out. It is a small sample size, but against Tulsa, twenty-one assists on thirty field goals, eleven turnovers, seven different players scored. Again, it's Tulsa. They're the worst team in the league. The other night, I know nobody wants to hear this. It's been a long season. They lost. They took a really good Cincinnati team to overtime, 16 assists on 28 field goals, just eight turnovers. Thumb played really well. I, I do think, I mean, obviously the next step in, in Hysir Miller's game, whether he reaches it or not, I don't know. I think he plays a hell of a lot with, with a hell of a lot more confidence. He's still got to learn how to finish better at the rim. Sometimes he gets down there, picks up his dribble, but I don't know. I think, and again, we've, we've been given no official status on, on Jaleel White's injury, whether he's going to, I mean, he's got some time to heal. I don't know how severe that ankle injury is. I agree with Kyle. I think they might have won the other night at Cincinnati. I think, you know, gives you a defensive presence. I just think they stand around a whole lot less. I think they're more active participants. Would not disagree that Caleb Battle can play basketball, but I'm intrigued to see what they can do without him here. We've got several mailbag questions to get to here with, you know, on a lot of this stuff. First screen name is what, what TU Question here. Hypothetically, battle was a bigger issue than what was given off all season and hurts the team's play more than anyone will admit. If we know that, does it give McKee another pass on a disappointing year? Didn't have, quote unquote, his guys, COVID season, last year battle was hurt, et cetera. I'm not saying that is the case. Just curious about your opinion on the situation. Hell no. Yeah, there's no way. Hell no. Um, mm. it, when you and your players were asked if it's tournament or bust this season, you said yes. You told reporters that you felt like you finally had your team. All of this happened. And also, John, I'm with you. Somebody showed you. Someone keeps telling you who they are. Believe them. I'm on the battle is a pain in the ass side of things now. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. However, I can't think of too many guys who, you know, are at least, if not the best player, the most talented on their team. That's not a pain in the ass. I don't want to compare this. I don't want to say battle was in the same conversation as uh, a JJ Redick at Duke or Jordan and Colby with Phil Jackson in the league or whatever, but it happens. Everybody's got a little bit to them. You've got to at least smooth things over to the point where it doesn't get public. I've got no problem if these guys have a disagreement in practice all season long, but the fact that it has gotten public twice is a problem. And some of that has to go. On the coaching, I'm not exalting battle of, you know, of his sins or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But some of that falls on the coach, too. Aaron McKee has not been the perfect, you know, prospect or whatever you want to describe it as in his four years at Temple. Not giving him a bailout. I'm not giving him a cop out. There's no reason. Matter of fact, I have the net ratings and stuff pulled up right now. There's no reason as of right now. You're supposed to be ranked, doo, 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 doo. the numbers are crunching. 125th in the net, 6-6 six and six in quad three, with two quad four losses and one and four in quad two. Like, um, that's just, that's inexcusable. You're, you don't get an excuse from me. You don't get let off the hook. Real quick, yeah, for the initial question, I completely agree. Like, yeah, like, and, and to be honest, even if, even if KB was, like, a pain in the ass that, you know, rotted from the inside and stuff like that, you are the head of the program. Like it's your decision to one to have kept them, to have recruited them, to have put up with what you put up with. Like, yeah, like no, 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 that's not an excuse to me whatsoever. Um, and I, I don't think Aaron McKee is trying to make that excuse. I don't think you're hearing anybody from the inside say, like, well, we would have been good if we'd gotten rid of KB three months ago and it's his fault. Like, I think people are kind of in agreement with that. I don't necessarily buy into the well, if you're the best player on the team, you're like everybody's an asshole. I can think of a lot of Temple players that were not problems and were really like Shiz Alston was the best player on three straight Temple teams. And he was nothing but nothing but not a problem. Well, even not even, even guys that start off as problems, though, like, you know, guys like, look, like it's it's well known that Khalif Wyatt, like early on, was just like a headache. Didn't want to practice was that by shape, his own, by his own all, admission was doing all this shit. But he grew up <laughs> and he became by the time he was a senior 
a complete non-issue, like a leader of a locker room. So I don't necessarily give KB the uh, the easy out on that either, mm-hmm. because I think there's always the possibility to to grow and to mature and to realize that the world's not all out against you. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Uh, second question here, another one from Blaze 75 on the basketball side. Javon, we, we were talking about this the other day, not that other people haven't. Uh, Temple's offense is so predictable. They almost always go ISO with Damian Dunn at the end of every game during crunch time. Their main plays are derived from, you know, use the give and go, especially with Jameel Reynolds, ISO or drive and kick. We don't seem to have any sort of offensive system or identity. Any thoughts on Temple's offense? I'll say this and get out of the way quickly. I do, like I said a few minutes ago, I do think that they have moved the ball a lot better. They seem more confident on offense. It is a very, very small sample size. I get it. Uh, they did have, of course, the other night, They, I thought they played a heck of a lot better offensively. Now, they did have that, what was it, like a six or seven-minute stretch close to the end of the game where they didn't have a field goal, but they found a way to force overtime. But, yeah, the the what we don't know – I don't want to say what we don't know is could their offense look a little bit more cohesive and coherent? I'm not saying that without KB clogging things up on his bad nights that they're all of a sudden going to look like the triangle offense or the Princeton offense. But I think there's been a little bit of a discernible difference, but yeah, a lack of offensive identity, certainly. And I think that anybody who says otherwise just doesn't have their eyes open, but I will turn the floor over to you guys. Yeah, I think they do have a lack of offensive identity, and you know, partly that's probably on McKee. But at the same time, who on this team, you know, without Caleb Battle there, especially now, is a real threat to score consistently other than Damian Dunn? I, I don't give him that excuse. Don't give him that excuse. It's your job as a coach to know what positions your players excel in the most and to get them the ball mm-hmm. in that spot. The fact that I have not seen a single Malone action for Jamil Reynolds, and Lord knows how, how long. The fact that Zach Hicks has now joined Brendan Barry in the club of shooters who have not had shots created for them is disgusting. No, there's no system. There's almost, I think you see three sets run a game and they might get repeated two or three times. And that's it out of the Lord knows how many possessions a game. You know, there is no offense. It's schematically awful. And I, I will give them some credit as John says, they're kind of like, uh, uh, the Clippers during Kawhi's peak injury years, when he's out, they move the ball. When he's back, they go back to ball watching. That does seem to be the case when battles on and off the floor for Temple, but that doesn't change the fact that they just schematically, they've got no offense, which is embarrassing. I, I, I went to the PCL semifinal to watch West Catholic and, and Newman Garetti and watch Roman against Archbishop Wood. In both of those games, I saw a lot more offense, more fluidity, and way more sets being run than I have seen from McKee in my, I'll give myself two actual years of covering the team, which is bad. And it's not like, no, high school ball just runs more offense than college. That's a false notion. I I can turn on my television and watch 70% of the teams in the country actually have a system. Temple Falls in that other 30%, and it's, it's bad to watch. Kyle's nodding. Uh, next couple of questions here. The next one from Park Al from our basketball message board. The fundamentals of this team are usually awful on any given night. Some or all of lazy defense, sloppy passing, lack of boxing out, not getting back in transition will show up. McKee is regularly fired up on the sidelines, and I can't imagine he's letting letting them off easy after the game either. But with uh, within a game or two, they're back to the same nonsense. Is McKee incapable of fixing his players? Are these specific players? Are these specific players incapable of being fixed, or is it somewhere in between? I feel like it's got to be somewhere in between when it comes to sloppy play, especially with some of the younger guys. But I feel like you know, through you know, three to four years at Temple, I feel like especially with some of the younger guys that you expected to really take that next step was Zach Hicks and. Heisier Miller, and Heisier Miller's been playing better recently, but I think McKee's had a, you know, your job as a coach is to develop players, and I don't think McKee's done an outstanding job of, you know, as a coach, having his team ready for, you know, games that they were supposed to win all season long, especially in the non-conference stretch and some games, you know, within this conference, you lose to Memphis twice, you lose a bunch of opportunities, you know, where they played sloppy, so I think a lot of it falls on Aaron McKee at the end of the day. 
Yeah. I mean, I think everything falls on Aaron McKee at the end of the day, for better or for worse. Like, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Like, at a certain point, like, it's not year one, it's not year two. You should have established a system and you're recruited to that system by this point. Um, but yeah, in the end, like, you're the head of the program, man. Like, I think everything has to eventually fall back to the coaching staff and Aaron McKee. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not a basketball coach, so I don't know why if you, I can't, look, we've, like, we've all been to practice. It's not like there's times when they're just, all right, guys, this isn't Ted Lasso, like, coaching soccer, where it's like, I don't know what's going on. You guys just figure it out. Like, they're running things in practice. They're trying to implement things in practice, and it just doesn't translate to games all that often. So, yeah, that's the difference between a program that, has ascended and is you would be talking about like, Oh, they're going to their third tournament in four years and a program that's treading water right now. Mm. Um, last mailbag question to, to finish things off. And then we will talk about uh, the, uh, the PCL semifinal game that Javon just referenced a few minutes ago. Uh, and this is the one that we're going to get over and over and over again in the next few weeks. This is from TUL08 from the message board. How warm is Aaron McKee's seat? Let's do the John DeCarlo preface this with Aaron's a great guy and has been great to us. <laughs> to succeed, and I don't mean this sarcastically at all. Aaron McKee is genuinely one of the you know better human beings that you will find in the world. Now that that's out the way, Caden, give you an honest answer. I feel like it's got to be warm. Like you came into the year, like Javon talked about, tournament and bus. You're 15 and 14, and in one of the most important stretches of the season. You beat Houston at one point, who was the number one team in the nation. You feel like you kind of figure it out as a program. You might get back on track. And then you've lost five out of six games. You're going in the wrong direction into the American Athletic Conference tournament. And look, I get all the excuses and COVID, you need to have his guys. And this year, there's been you know, obviously a lot of things going on. You're 15 and 14, though. It's your fourth year. And you haven't made a tournament yet. You're probably not going to make the NIT. That's not a problem. You know, it's a definite. That's a definite. You're not going to make the NIT. I feel like he's got to be really on the hot seat but at the same time if you're temple i mean to make that decision you feel like you got to have the next guy and i don't know who really wants to come and coach this program and i don't know if the school's gonna let go of aaron mckee after you know the fourth year even though if i were you know in charge i think you know maybe a fresh start would be best but i think it's got to go it's been underwhelming your younger guys haven't developed at times haven't really taken that next step julia white zach hicks although i think they've both shown flashes this year. It hasn't been consistent. Your best player, Caleb Battle, you haven't been able to control. I think that just a lot of things have gone wrong for Aaron McKee. So I think it should be hot, but do I think he ends up leaving? Probably not. Javon, Kyle, any uh, strong thoughts on this? You're asking me if I'm Arthur Johnson and I am extending the fifth year, uh, extending him past this upcoming fifth year of his contract. My answer is no. I think I might be talking to whoever it is the ADs talk to to find out how much money they have and how much they can raise to initiate a search. Um, I don't know if I let McKee finish out this deal. Kyle made this point um, last semester of having a lame duck coach in college sports is just bad business. No one's going to commit to a coach whose school has not committed to him or her. Um, and at the moment, I'd be very non-committal to Aaron. So maybe it's John, you proposed before, you bring him into office, like, hey, you're one of the schools, one of the city's favorite sons. We're not gonna fire you, but you know, if you wanna step down and focus on your family, we will completely understand. Hint, hint. And if, if I'm Aaron McKee, Aaron McKee, I tell Arthur Johnson to go fuck himself. Like, absolutely not. Like, it. I think I, if I'm Aaron McKee, I would say I've earned enough respect in this university, in this program, in this city, that I'm not going to be treated with kitty gloves. Like, you want to fire me, you fire me, is what, is what I would say. Um, to the initial question of the, the, the warmness, I think it's warm, but I don't. I don't see a, a change happening. Uh, I, I think like a month ago, I said like barring a collapse, and like I think you could argue that five of six is a collapse. Like they had all that momentum and things broke, and now they're clawing for a first round buy. I just can't see if it ends up being like pretty much a carbon copy of last year where they go they win seventeen games and Nova sucks, but they beat Nova and like you beat number one Houston on the road. Like I just I can't see it happening. I I would agree with Kyle, and again, I I think that a lot of people are listening to this, 
they they want us to feel their anger and say there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change. I, I think I've said this a couple of times. This would not make for good sports talk radio and sports talk radio. You're supposed to have a strong take, whether you believe it or not, make something up, fake it till you make it. I do not have any credible, credible, credible information one way or another. I think both these gentlemen, and it's not just Arthur Johnson's decision. It's not just Aaron McKee's decision, whether it's just a, do you, do you reshuffle your staff? Like, it's been hard to get information on this, and I would be stone cold lying if I said I know definitively either way what's going to happen. This is an educated guess, a, a gut feeling, and nothing more. I think he gets extended, and I think they reassess it after next year. I'm there's part of me that is intrigued, and I'm sure I'll get roasted for saying this. There's part of me that is intrigued to see what they could do with if, if you can bring Damian Dunn back, you bring Jamil Reynolds back. Um, and you bring this team back one more time without Caleb Battle, you're going to have to get a quality backup big in the transfer portal. You're going to have to get another dependable score because I don't know how much Shane Dazoni is going to give you. I think Tosh Tweed is an energy guy at best, not saying that he couldn't help. I think it would be foolish for us to expect Deuce Roberts to come and do come in and do anything other than be a role player next year. And, and I think Zion Stanford, who we'll get to in a second, uh, I think I, I don't know that I see – Again, guys can get better over the years. I don't think that Zion Stanford is going to be an instant impact guy. And he may end up being a, a, a bench piece or a role player at best in the future. We'll see. I think they're going to extend him. And I think they'll give him next year to see what he can do. And if it doesn't work out after that, I think they'll, you know, structure the contract in a way where they there's a buyout. They eat the last couple of years. At this point, I don't see anything. Now, if they completely fall flat, if they are really horrible in the next three games, meaning they are they just are really bad against UCF, really bad on the road uh, against uh, at Tulane, and they're just deplorably bad in the American Athletic Conference tournament, I think something could happen. I think if they win a couple of games here, I think if they win a game in the conference tournament, I think that solidifies for it. Now, should fans have expected a tournament bid this year? Absolutely. I don't want to invalidate anybody's opinions who think that they should have and could have been capable of more. I'm just sitting here saying the same thing Kyle is. I think his seat is warm. As of now, I don't think there's going to be a change, but yeah, and I, I and like I, I don't want to like liken this to like when Rod Carey came back for one more year and then like it was just disaster. Like if, if Aaron McKee comes back next year, it's it's not some foregone conclusion they're gonna be a complete disaster. Like Damian Dunn could come back. They could return everybody except KB primarily. And then you just hammer the the transfer portal and hope that you can find the right type of guy to play in an offense that's really centered around Damian Dunn. Um, so like it's not unreasonable. I, I would think if I was a betting man, he gets extended. That extension has a lower buyout percentage-wise than you might expect in the event that like, hey, we gave you another year and this stuff just did not work. Yeah. I will say if that happens and you're bringing back a team next year, with four of the starting five are high seer with Damian Dunn as the full-time shooting guard, Zach Hicks and Jamil Reynolds, your portal like aspirations needs to be you need a real deal power forward. Like you need a you need a four that's a three-level scorer and can rebound. And it, it, it like if you don't get that in the offseason. So I don't I don't disagree that like that's a good addition, right? But like, I still think like if they had to like visualize that starting lineup, then they'd be like, "I need a guard that can score, score." Like, I need their scoring option in this offense because like Jamil Reynolds has shown flashes and he's had his stretches. He's also shown stretches where like they don't know how to use them. So, does it matter if your big can score if you can't get the ball to your big? I I think I think they're more comfortable with their scoring coming from like the traditional backcourt. So like I I, I would think it's more of like a get that type of guy. But I could be wrong. I've been I wrong think before. that's where the problem lies, though. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't yeah. play basketball without knowing how to get a big man. Yeah. Well, I mean, people played a lot of college basketball without knowing how to get, get the ball to a big man. Like, there's been there's been a lot of programs that are just four guards. and Even half clock. these programs know how to get their big men the ball on a dump off or an oop. You know, yeah. well, they figured out how to do it, just not for Jamil lately. Like, Corey <laughs> gets his little uh, alley-oops now, and that's about it. Mm-hmm your favorite player yeah um just to round things out here in the last couple of minutes Javon you, you you did uh end up going um to see that PCL semifinal game with the Plester the other night so West Catholic forced overtime 
that that shot probably should not have counted, but the overtime game nonetheless. West Catholic loses 69-56 to Newman Gretti. Zion Stanford had 23 points in that game. Kafik Myers had nine. Temple's recruiting Kafik Myers. He hasn't committed anywhere yet. Zion Stanford has signed with Temple. Um, I wasn't at the game. I talked to a couple people who were there and said that Zion was okay, started slow, played a little bit better, had 23, probably left some points on the board, uh, especially in the late, late down the stretch. Covered a bunch of different high school players that get labeled one way or another and, and end up being pretty good. I think he's a good player. I don't know how good he's going to be at the next level. What would you think of what you saw Thursday night? Um, I think, so I'll start with Stanford, and, and I'll pull up my my – Vive tweet third of my scouting report. So with Stanford, I'm looking at him. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He actually uh, pursues some offensive rebounds, which I'm a fan of. Uh, he'll get to the lane. Um, he's got sneaky passing ability for his size also, but uh, he's got to shed some of that baby fat, which I'm looking at his body. I think it's a sign that he's got an inch or two left of growth in him um, before he starts to slim out and really understand his body. Uh, growth, plates, to, growth plates are still open per Javon Edmonds. Yeah. Uh, he's got to get quicker, especially on defense. Um, I just question if he's going to be able to – buckets that he scores, I question if he'll be able to get that at the next level against defenders that are his size and have better athletic ability than him. Uh, I also don't like how he kind of disappeared and lost his composure in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. But I, I'll say he's better than I thought, but I'm still, you know, not regarding him as some top-notch recruit that Temple's going to be able to play in year one. I could very much see him eating the bench next year the way Deuce Roberts is eating the bench this year. Um, Feek, on the other hand, I don't know if he has any growth left in him. He might be stuck at 5'10", being generous. However, he can get by anybody. His ability to finish at the rim is rare. He's got IQ. The the only and, – and he's got great composure to him. You're not going to rattle him. You're not going to throw him off his game. But Clark went at him, like, you know, gave him some buckets. Well, I wouldn't say he gave Kafik the buckets. He got a lot out of the pick and roll and just Bud's such a gifted scorer. Um, talked his trash to him to try to get Kafik off his game, and, and Kafik just – wouldn't fall for it. It's hard to find that type of composure. Um, I couldn't find any weaknesses in his game. As soon as he, except for his shooting, once his jump shot gets to being consistent, uh, he's got good form on it. So it's really a small tweak that has to be made for that thing to start going down consistently. But once it does, watch out. Um, I will go far as to say Kafik Myers has the potential to be better than his OG, uh, High Seer Miller. Mm-hmm. I, I have no problem with saying that to anyone. They're a little different, right? I mean, different yeah, build, yeah. different styles. Yeah, they're they're definitely somewhat different. Kafik plays more athletic and more fast. Um, but yeah, I have no problem with saying I think he could be better than I see. The concern is, is that Kafik's a worse shooter this year than he was last year. Like he didn't get better. It's not like he's on the right trajectory. He's shooting 48% from the free throw line. He's shooting 25% from threes. Like that's the concern with Kafik is like now you're an upperclassman and you got worse in that aspect. So like, I think there's some concern there. Like you can't be a five ten guard that can't shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk more hoops next week. Certainly talk. Well, I think we got another mailbag. No, we did get another mailbag. Last one. minute mailbag, I believe. Last minute mailbag. <laughs> Where is this coming in from? Oh, the toxicity that is our message board. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, where is this one coming? Is this another basketball one? Yeah, the basketball one. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. Uh, from Berkshire Al. What does a typical overseas player earn or a G League player in the current environment? Might an NIL deal be a better deal? Just curious. Well, it depends on the NIL deal. Certainly. I mean, I think that, I mean, this is, this is an interesting question where you could probably base an entire podcast around this. If you bring some overseas players on like a shiz, like a, like a, Oh, we should mention that David Hawkins going into the big, big five. five Hall of fame. Fame. Yeah. We could, uh, we could talk to David about this uh, played in Italy for several years. I, I think that, that Berkshire Alta, 
answer your question in a quick fashion, it, it, the good overseas deals are are better than NIL deals, unless you're talking about like the NIL, NIL deals that you get from big, big, big time boosters and the true blue blood, blue blood programs. Excuse me. There are some guys that play overseas, wherever overseas is. And yeah, I mean, there have been well-documented cases where guys sign with a club team and they're victimized by a club team that doesn't pay them on time, doesn't pay them at all. Some shady stuff happens. But unless you're signing a really lucrative NIL deal, the, the overseas deals are are better. I don't know if, if Berkshire Owl is inferring, you know, is does Damian Don look at his options? Does he go say, hey, I have kids to support. I'm going to if I can't make it into the NBA, I'm going to go overseas or am I looking for NIL money? Uh, I don't know. I could be putting words in Berkshire Owl's mouth here, but I don't know. Kyle, am I wrong on that? I think. No. Most- and then the G League is even worse. Like the G yeah. League is honestly like unless you're going to get like a two way contract or like you're one of those guys that um, they brought in like like a whatever, like Deontay was with the Sixers that one year where it was like, OK, you're going to sign with the Sixers and you're going to get waived a day later. So we have your rights in the G League, but we're going to pay you blah, blah. Like if you're just a straight G League player, you're making you're making guy first year out of college money. Like you're making like 35, 40, 45. Yeah. Um, I think I would echo all of that. Like if you can put everything on the table and you can wave your wand, you say, Hey, I have an offer from like the top Greece league and I'm going to play for path path of Nikos or whatever. I butchered that. Um, then like, yeah, like that's going to be better than 99% of the NIL, NIL deals. But if you're a guy that's like, Hey, my options are like come back to school for another year or go play in the third league of, of Iceland, like NIL, NIL might be beneficial for that. Like take advantage of that COVID year. Like things like that could happen. I, I don't know if he's trying to project this to like Damian Dunn, like Damian Dunn is your better option to find an NIL deal at Temple or somewhere else or to go in Europe. Um, I don't know. I mean, Dunn's a good player. Like he's an all conference level player. Like at the end of the day, like I know people have their grace with him. He's an all conference level player at this level. He's been very uh, good in the last couple of games. He's been too. very good in the last couple of games. Like he has the ability to, to kind of buoy an offense. If that's the case, then like he's definitely a European level player. Like he's a guy that's going to make you play basketball for another 10 years of his career. If he wants to, um, I think the hope is that temple can either convince him non-monetarily or they can scrounge up things via like the tough fun, whatever it might be to keep Damian Dunn here for another year, but we shall see. Exactly. Anyway, thanks for sticking with us for another episode. Like I said, we'll have plenty of spring football to talk next week, plenty of hoops. And uh, for Kyle, Javon, and Caden, thanks for joining us again. Talk to you soon.